Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. where we start with a random article and we explore it and then follow the links and see where it takes us. John, what's your random article for today? It's kind of a disambiguation, so that's always Mm. hopeful. Uh, It's for the Hooper House, which may (laughs) refer to any of the four following places. There's one called the Hooper House in Baltimore, there's one called the Hooper House that's uh, also in Baltimore. Hmm. Um, there's one called the Befford House, which is also known as the Hooper House, and it's also pretty close to Baltimore. It's in <laughs> Maryland. And then there's a third one called the Hooper House, hmm. which is in Massachusetts. <laughs> well, I never realized that... Uh Cooper House could have a disambiguation. Oh, no, 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 no. Wait, there's more. Oh. There's the Hooper Elliott House in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The Hooper Lee Nichols House in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The Robert King Hooper Mansion in Marblehead, Massachusetts. The Hooper mm. Bowler Hillstrom House in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. The Nash Hooper House, Hillsboro, North <laughs> Carolina. Or the Dr. D.D. Hooper House, Silva, North Carolina. And finally, the Jesse Jack Hooper House, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Hmm. You thought I was done, didn't you? <laughs> I was just done with the pure breed Hooper houses. <laughs> I wasn't even done with like the, the half breeds. Wow, it's a lot of Hooper houses. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> well, my article is Paisani. Paisani. It is an Italian surname. <laughs> y- yeah, and it's <laughs> got a list of people who have that surname. Um, there, I'll, I'll, I'll mention some of the more, not notable ones, but ones that stick out to me because it's funny. Fair enough. All right. Um, there's Alvise Paisani, who is the Doge of Venice. The Doge? D-O-G-E of Venice. The Doge? <laughs> yes. Uh, such That's prestige, <laughs> much power. <laughs> wow. Yep. And then... Uh, there's Alfred Paisani, who's a Maltese hotelier. Ooh, okay. Maltese is a great place for hotels. There's Carmelo Borg Paisani. <laughs> Carmelo Borg? Like Carme- the ca- delicious candy and then horrifying alien race that kills you. Yes. Paisani. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is a, or he, I guess, I don't know who it is. Maltese nationalist and fascist. That's dangerous because <laughs> he's already got Borg as his middle name. That's yep. a terrible combination. It's a very bad combination. Um, let's see. Who else we got here? We got Joseph Paisani, who is an American artist, abstract painter, and designer living in Switzerland. Hmm. Um, 
And there's Maria Adiodata Paisani, who is a Maltese saint. Whoa. Yeah, she's Getting a up there. bona fide saint. Nice. Nice. Um, let's see. What else? There's Vittor Paisani, who is an Italian linguist. Um, there's a see also section that has Italian submarine Vetter Paisani. And there's a couple Villa Paisanis and Rocco Pisani. Pisana? Pisani? Pisana. Right, okay. Yeah. Pisana. I guess that's a Italian pluralization. I guess so, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. We got a we got two lists of things. So Yes we do. <laughs> it's hard to choose because I don't know. I feel as though houses you can only learn so much about, mm-hmm. but people have actual stories to them. Yeah, that's true. Like houses don't have a choice. We build them, mm-hmm. we occupy them. They're just around. <laughs> but uh, people people have say in have a say in things. And the last time we got a last name, yeah, it did lead to a board game episode. That's true. That was very interesting. So, it was. I don't know. Hmm. Well, as much as I would like to see any of these Hooper houses, which are located either near Baltimore or near Massachusetts, <laughs> I think it may be better to go with a Pisani. Mm. So, All right. we'll, we'll go with the Pisanis here. Let's go with Pisani. It's P-I-S-A-N-I. And I'm very much leaning towards the Carmelo Borg Pisani just for the sake of Borg. It does seem interesting that that person was alive during, or at least up through uh, part of World War II. Mm-hmm. So that might be uh, intriguing. And a lot of these people are Maltese, it seems. Like, as in the Maltese Falcon? Yes. Oh. I don't know why... I don't know whatever country Maltese is from Malta 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 uh, I don't know why so many Paisanis went there I think it's pretty close to uh, to Italy if I, if I recall hmm. it's one of those little like European countries that you're kind of like oh that's there <laughs> why, why would anybody care like and then you're like oh because all the money's in there uh, it's like uh, <laughs> a veritable Luxembourg hmm. to uh, to Italy some of these people don't even have death dates. Some of them I mean, dead. technically, I guess you could say they didn't die yet, but... The one of them was born in... Th- oh, one died in 1380. I thought it said he was born in 1380, and I thought he didn't die yet. But <laughs> that was kind of... <laughs> I was like, huh? <laughs> I think some of them might just still be alive. I, I mean, guess so. There may be some really old dudes out there who are mm-hmm. Pisanis. Some of these people weren't born too long ago. Nah, some of them are pretty young. Bob Pisani has to be pretty pretty young because he's a news correspondent. Can't, can't be shown on have TV. A birthday. Yeah. Maybe he was born yesterday. They it just didn't be. get around to... <laughs> <laughs> he's the newest baby for E-Trade. That's why they keep him on uh, CNBC <laughs> for financial advice. 
Mm -hmm. New E trade, baby. <laughs> See, you want to go to the uh, Maltese fascist. I keep wanting to say Maltese Falcon <laughs> every time I look at that. Um, but there's also the Doge of Venice. Yes. There which, is I mean, the but I mean, I know that's going to be something like <laughs> really political or religious, or mm -hmm. given that that time frame in Italy, the you know late, late 1600s, early 1700s, probably both. <laughs> so, I don't know. I would rather go with the Borg. If we're going to assimilate anything, it might as well be the Borg. <laughs> well, just. For curiosity's sake, let's just bounce over and see. Okay, so it's a good thing that we're not going to the Doge of Venice because it's a very, very short article. Um, and apparently he was a diplomat. That's what it is. Yes. Namely, if anybody's curious, uh, a Doge is simply an elected chief of state lordship position. Uh, the ruler of the republic in many of the Italian city-states. So basically somebody who ruled over a city-state. Right. So Carmelo Borg Paisani. Maltese-born. Italian fascist. Oh, what do you know? Was found guilty by a British war tribunal and executed for alleged treason. Also interesting to note became a fascist started out as an artist isn't that how it always goes I don't understand <laughs> the progression I legitimately don't get it so he was born into a very well respected Maltese family in Sanglia he won a scholarship to study in Rome at the Umberto Primo Art Lyceum in Italy, he showed support for fascism, and when war was declared on June 10, 1940, Pizzani was still attending the Accademia di Belle Arti, or the Academy of Fine Arts, in Rome. Hmm. Now, Pisani, I should say Borg. We were on a whole article of Pisani's. We'll, we'll call this guy Borg for all well, intents yeah, and purposes. Yeah, it does, uh, it does mention his name here as Borg Pisani. Yeah, I'm going to call him Borg. Yeah, Borg. Now, Borg believed that Malta's Latin soul was being destroyed by British rule. Probably valid concern, <laughs> really. And he also believed the best opportunity to fix that was to kick the Brits out and restore the island to the being ruled by the Kingdom of Italy. So, to make that goal a reality, Borg, along with many other Maltese students in Italy, joined the Nazis. <laughs> After the outbreak of war, uh, he volunteered for service in the Italian army, but was refused because he was myopic. Uh, Shame. Yeah. That darn myopic. <laughs> Man, he was only active for one year, 1941 to 1942. It's probably mostly because he was executed. That's probably what led to such a short service on his part. I mean, yeah. When you're not alive, you can't really serve for as long. And he actually died at the age of 27. He's in the 27 club, bro. <laughs> it's a nice club to be in. I will be getting out of it at the end of this year, but... It's your chance, man. Yeah. 
Though he didn't really like wanna die, he right. was executed <laughs> by hanging. It says. Oh wow. This story is tragic. This guy's story is absolutely tragic. This is fox and hound level stuff. Okay, okay, okay. Get this. So, May 18th, 1942. Borg volunteers for an espionage mission to Malta to help prepare for the planned Axis invasion of the island, i.e. Operation Hercules. Uh, Pisani disembarked at the Dingley Cliffs in Ras-i-Dara and transferred all his rations to a cave which he knew well from his youth because, you know, the dude grew up there. <laughs> so, unusually inclement weather ball on a rough sea. However, uh, that was not the least of his troubles because all the rations he stole away in that cave got washed away within 48 hours <laughs> from the storm. So he was forced to wave down a British patrol boat. Upon rescue... He was brought to uh, RNH Matarfa, the naval hospital at Matarfa. And there he was recognized by one of his childhood friends, <laughs> Captain Tom Warrington. He was transferred to a prison, interrogated, and accused of treason. On mm. November 12, 1942, he stood trial. His plea that he had renounced British citizenship and passport on his acquisition of Italian citizenship was not upheld by the military court, and on November 19th, he was sentenced to death for conspiring against His Majesty's government. Hmm. Now that's kind of weird. Just like meeting a childhood friend and then them just being like, well, gonna, pri- gonna <laughs> imprison you. I mean, it's tough luck. Sorry. <laughs> he was... A- awarded the gold medal of military valor after his execution by King Victor Emmanuel III. That's the highest Italian military award you can get. It's the best one. Yeah. Now, this... So, I, I'm assuming this King Victor Emmanuel III was the Italian king? Or what, did, They didn't even have kings, did they? The... I don't know who King Victor Emmanuel III is because maybe the Italians did have kings. I mean, I know Benito Mussolini was mm-hmm. elected to... I forget, was prime minister? Let me double check. But he was never, like... Because, I mean, by the time 1942 came around, that was... World War II was happening. Yeah. And so Mussolini would have been... A dictator he would have been around. presence. So I don't know who this King Victor Emmanuel III is handing out Italian military awards to people. Oh wow! So his family requested to have his body exhumed from the prison grounds, okay, so that they could give it a proper burial. Gotcha. And they never got their request granted. Well, that was. That was stupid. Yeah. Like, what point is there in withholding a body? It's just a <laughs> body. He's dead. He's legit dead. Like, mm-hmm. just let them have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does mention Mussolini here. Who um, says Mussolini called him the Maltese martyr and created a like honor, like a memorial for him um, in November 1943. Oh, well, that's so, good. At least somebody's, like, cool with him trying to do things for Italy. Yeah. Well, what, where do you want to go from here? 
I'm gonna figure out about this Victor Emmanuel the Third guy, because mm. I had, I mean, it's really kind of sad that in all of my years of learning about World War II, and there have been quite a few of them because it's the last big war that America won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but the, I mean, big war. Right. Um, the thing here is, I've never heard about this. There being a king of Italy involved. Yeah. You hear Benito Mussolini and how he was like, you know, Hitler's best bud and all that, but you've never really gotten to hear about anything else as far as the structure yeah. of government in Italy goes. <laughs> well, is it possible that he's maybe not the king of Italy? Maybe he's like the king of Malta or something? No. No? It's not possible. Well, let's, let's check it out. Look at the, look at the link, man. <laughs> Over that, over that URL. King of Italy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I feel like history class has failed me. We gotta fix it, man. We gotta make the education system better yeah. for ourselves, for our own future. <laughs> so it's weird that his predecessor was Umberto the first, and his successor was Umberto the second. That's how royal names be, man. You get like, uh, like in, in between each one. Well, think about it. You got Elizabeth II is the queen right now. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth I was the monarch when William Shakespeare was alive. Mm. There's been a lot of queens between them, like Victoria and stuff. But yeah, mm. yeah, royal names are basically just like whoever's old enough with a name <laughs> at the time, and then you go back by. Whoever else has already been the king who had that name, whenever, it doesn't really matter. I'm guessing from the low numbers that Italy had a very short stead in the uh, monarchy uh, thing. Because they had that whole city-state thing going on for so long. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, it says here in the info box that co-ranking was Benito Mussolini. So they just kind of shared the throne? Like a I Kanye West Jay Z sort of collab? Or. Because um, it says First Marshal of the Empire. Yeah. Co ranking Benito Mussolini. So they were both the First Marshal of the Empire. So I guess maybe that would be similar to. Like how the president is the commander in chief, but it would be like if somebody else was also somehow the commander in chief, but not like actually both, the president. Yeah, like they both had control of the armies, right. which is that makes a lot of sense that as does. to why we've never heard of this dude and we heard a lot about Benito Mussolini because right. he was the guy making all the military moves, he had all mm. the military power, effectively making this dude a lame duck. Yeah. This guy was just like, hey, man, do whatever you want. I'm just... I'm all for <laughs> it. I'm all for it. I'm just here. I'm just here. Just don't overthrow me and be cool. Be cool. <laughs> uh, okay, so he was the only child of Umberto I, who decided not to name him Umberto, I guess. <laughs> I like, well, it's a good um, thing he wasn't named Umberto. Umberto was not a very well-liked man. He was assassinated. Maybe that's why. <laughs> Maybe. Wanted to give his son a chance. Of course, Victor Emmanuel didn't have much more success. He named his kid Umberto, Umberto II, uh, only to kind of align himself on the losing end of World War II, 
feel as though the entire nation turned against the idea of having a monarchy at that point when they lost the war. And uh, Victor Emmanuel had no choice but to abdicate the throne and let his son take over and hope that maybe people might like the idea of having a king a little bit more. <laughs> Man, he uh, must have been really old during World War II because it yeah. says that he took the throne in 1900 yep. at the age of 30. Yeah. So he was well into his 70s by the time World War II was happening. He doesn't look like no young kid in uh, this portrait here from 1919. Yeah. Got a lot of the wrinkles. <laughs> kind of looks like that one um, construction worker from Home Improvement who made a guest appearance every once in a while. Yep. Kind of does. <laughs> he was also a five-foot-tall person. He's five-foot-nothing. Wow. That's pretty short. He was a tiny man. Is that... Um is that about how tall Tom Cruise is, or is he up at, like, 5'4"? I think he has a few inches on this guy. Not by much, though. Yeah, five feet seems really, really short. It is. It's not a very not a very tall person at all. Oh, okay. So, on in uh, 1938, the Italian parliament established the rank of First Marshal of the Empire and gave it to both... Victor Emmanuel and Mussolini. Ah, okay. So it didn't really exist before. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So um, his equivalence with Mussolini, like them sharing this thing, was seen as offensive by him. So the king wanted to remove Mussolini from that. Uh, so that is where they had sort of a break. Yeah. It says there was actually a coup d'etat against Mussolini mm. on uh, the 25th of July, 1943. The Grand Council of Fascism at that point voted to adopt the order of the day proposed by Count Dino Grandi to ask Victor Emmanuel to resume his full constitutional powers under Article 5 of the Statuto. In effect, it was a motion of no confidence in Mussolini. Hmm. And the same afternoon, Mussolini asked for the for an audience with the king at his villa in Savoia. Now, when Mussolini tried to tell Victor Emmanuel about the Grand Council's vote, Victor Emmanuel abruptly cut him off and told him that he was dismissing him as prime minister in favor of Marshal Pietro Badoglio. He then ordered Mussolini arrested and renounced the usurped Ethiopian and Albanian crowns in favor of the legitimate monarchs of those states. Hmm. Wow. See, why don't you hear about this kind of thing? <laughs> I really don't know. Seems even, like a pretty big deal. It is, because <laughs> it says publicly, Victor Emmanuel and Badoglio claim that Italy would continue the war as a member of the Axis. Hmm. And privately, they both began negotiating with the Allies for an armistice. Wow. Court circles, including including, uh, Crown Princess Marie Jose, had already been putting out feelers to the Allies before Mussolini's outing. Hmm. And uh, the armistice actually happened in uh, 1943, on 8th of September. Uh, Victor Emmanuel publicly announced an armistice with the Allies. Confusion reigned as Italian troops were left without orders, and the Germans, who had been expecting this move for some time, quickly disarmed and interned out Italian forces and took control in the occupied Balkans, France, 
and the Dodecanese, as well as in Italy itself. Many of those units that did not surrender joined forces with the Allies against the Germans. <laughs> so Germany expected this to happen. It happened before. And yeah. then the Italian military forces joined with the Allies. Yep. And <laughs> something that I've never heard before in all of my years of hearing about things from World War II. Yeah, you hear that, I mean, Italy's on the losing side, but you don't realize that they weren't. They did switch. <laughs> yeah. Like, not soon enough. I mean, obviously not right. soon enough to this not be tried for like, war crimes and end. stuff. Right. Because, I mean, what is it? 1944, as I think the... 1945 is when World War II ended. Right. What day in uh, Armistice Day, right? September 2nd. September 2nd. That's yeah. Armistice Day's World War One. What am I thinking of? Uh, but, yeah, it was... Huh. So, literally two years after this, the Germans managed to keep going on their own. <laughs> well, with Japan, but Japan's off. But yeah, they're, Japan the wasn't, like, <laughs> like, cooperating. They were just kind of like, yeah, let's do stuff. Yep. <laughs> They were out in. I mean, they were. Just, I'm sure they were hurting Russia. They were beating Russia. Oh yeah. Fears, but, and they were giving us a run for our money. I mean, everything we yeah. tried to do was an absolute bombshell. It was terrible. That's why the Pacific Theater went on for like another three years after the rest of World War II. Yeah, I feel like Germany and Italy were kind of like the parents of the Axis. Japan was like this little wild child that was just running around doing stuff. They're like, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 don't. Why are you? Oh, okay. Let's <laughs> they don't want to get in the war. Don't attack them. Let's keep conquering the world over here in peace. <laughs> Once we have a big enough army, then we'll go attack them. No, let's go attack them right now. They won't, they'll never expect <laughs> it. I mean, no, they won't, but they're also not going to be that bad off once you do that <laughs> they're gonna be real mad though <laughs> I don't know why you would do that do you why? have any hornet's nests in Japan do you know do you about that analogy <laughs> they probably do they have really they have big very, hornets, very big hornets <laughs> they do know <laughs> so basically what happened was after World War II uh, the Italian became Italy eventually became a republic by way of referendum mm. in 1946 they have a vote on to whether to continue having a monarchy or to go to a republic and uh 52% of the voters voted in favor of a republic mm. surprisingly close race given what they yeah, had all been through the kingdom of italy was no more so i never really thought about the word kingdom as referring specifically to a place where a king is the ruler. Right. So you would never have a kingdom of the United States. Right. For example. Because there was hmm. never a monarch here. Right. Yeah, let's see. So 1946, he would have been 76 years old. And that's when he finally um, passed the throne over to his son, Umberto II. Only for him to be taking the reign of office. <laughs> yeah. Not only that, but all male members of the House of Savoy, the ruling house of Italy, were required to vacate the country. <laughs> wow. 
He took refuge in Egypt. And, then, and promptly died in <laughs> the following year in Alexandria, Egypt. Yeah. Yeah, that's a shame. Well, on a brighter note, do you know Victor Emmanuel III was one of the most prolific coin collectors of his time? <laughs> of all time. Of all time. It's true. <laughs> he amassed around 100,000 different specimens of coins, dating from the t- fall of the Roman Empire up to the Italian unification. Wow. That's probably a very valuable coin collection. Oh, yeah. You you know it. I mean, it, it's probably the most valuable coin collection. Well, it has if, to be. It's, it's the largest of all time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm sure coins from the Roman Empire are probably staggeringly expensive. Now, interesting thing is that uh, Emmanuel, Victor Emmanuel only took a small amount of his coin collection with him when he was forced to leave the country of Italy. Uh, and as a result... His son, Umberto II, held on to most of the coins until eventually he, too, was kicked out of Italy. Mm. Uh, but he was alive until 1983. Oh, wow. So he uh, died and left his father's coin collection to the uh, museum in Rome, where it's still on the National Museum of Rome, I should say, and it's still on display there today. Huh. That might be interesting to check out sometime. Whenever in Rome... I will have to look into it. You know what they say. When in Rome, check out Victor Emmanuel III's really extensive coin collection. It's the largest (laughs) in the world. I say that every day. Yep, so do the Italians. (laughs) But we're not in Rome. No. But we do have a link to the National Museum of Rome. That is true. We also have a link to coin collectors. (laughs) I'm sure that's a very scintillating topic. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, the trade of small metal discs back and <laughs> forth, forth and back for hundreds and thousands of years. What a thing to ha- hobby. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I'm okay with checking out the National Museum of Rome. Even, you know, since I can't exactly go there at the moment. Exactly. I mean, we're in the middle of a podcast, so it would be very rude. Yeah. I just have to finish it on my own. Just be like maybe 10 hours of silence while I go over there and check it out. Be a really long episode. We should yeah. do that at some point. Just have a travel episode <laughs> where we start the episode, get really time. curious. Yeah, real time. <laughs> we go to the place, and we come back, and we have months and months worth of episodes of silence <laughs> just waiting for us to return. <laughs> And then we just come back. Oh, wait, is this thing still on? And then it turns off. And then that's the end of the episode. <laughs> so anyway, we have uh, the National Roman Museum here. It has several branches in several different buildings throughout the city of Rome. It was founded in 1889. So the, the palace was built on the site once occupied by the Villa Montalto Peretti, named after Pope Sixtus V. Sixtus V? Sixtus V. The Sixtus the V. The Fifth Sixtus. Okay. I'm just going to let that one go, I guess. <laughs> Ooh, there's a mummy in this museum. Just says the mummy that was found in 1964 on the Via Cassia. Doesn't 
have like a name for it or anything. So it's interesting. This palace thing that was built on the site of the villa was used for a bunch of other stuff leading up to it becoming a museum. Uh, it was a... Well, it was actually the first public secular high school of Italy. Um, Would that be a gymnasium? Perhaps. <laughs> could be a type of gymnasium, yes. In the European sense, I should say. In... Mm-hmm. Uh, it was one of the most prestigious schools in Rome until 1960. During World War II, it was partially used as a military hospital. Uh, and it was used for scholastic functions until the 60s when it was moved to a newer seat in the EUR quarter. Hmm. So in 1981, after it was laying around in a state of neglect for a bit, the state of Italy acquired it for 19 billion lire and granted it to the National Roman Museum. I, I like this picture of the Seleucid prince as hero. Because he's just holding on to his little walking stick or spear, maybe, whatever it is. Just kind of leaning on it. Yep. It's kind of looking with like a little face of disgust. Just kind of a very unamused naked guy with a stick. Just kind of leaning around. Like, he looks about as lazy as you could possibly be <laughs> while being tremendously ripped mm-hmm. and also, like, standing, like, <laughs> holding onto a stick that you're holding up. So, apparently, um, the Palazzo Altempt, uh, which is one of the buildings here, um, became the property of the... Holy See in the 19th century and it was used as a seminary for a little bit and it was granted to the Italian state in 1982 and then inaugurated as a museum in 1997 I don't know what the Holy See is they're the Vatican Basically, ah, okay. like that's what the uh, Vatican's recognized as in the uh, in the United Nations, for example. Okay. It's kind of weird to me that they have sort of uh, very limited amount of buildings they really use. They only mm-hmm. have the Palazzo Altam and the Crypta Balbi, and then they have the Baths of. Diocletian. In that um, baths of Diocletian, they have a something called the main hall of baths, of the baths. Is that just like baths? <laughs> I mean, I have no clue, and there's no link to it. You can't yeah. find out. Well, there's a link down here to baths of Constantine, but I feel like we already looked at that. I don't know. We've talked about Constantine. And we've talked about baths. Somebody's baths. Yeah, it seems like baths are just a public bathing complex. Because they wouldn't have had indoor plumbing in their homes, mm. generally speaking. So if you wanted to bathe, you went to the group bathing house. You mm. didn't. 
It's like an old like think back to like boarding houses in early uh, early America. Mm-hmm. Like you had a bunch of people living in one house, but there's only like one restroom. Well, yeah. this is that, except there was a bunch of people living in a city, and there was one shower. <laughs> so that basic idea kind of carries over for a while until modern day when we finally have our own toilets. <laughs> oh, precious, precious mm. toilets of our own. But also precious baths. Don't forget baths. Baths, <laughs> are, baths are good to take, too. Yes, they are. Yeah, I feel like Rome would be a good place to visit a museum in because there's a lot of history and sculptures and you know a lot of artists come out of Italy from like the main renaissance era and everything yeah just looking at some of the more notable exhibits they have here uh, some of the statues are absolutely breathtaking in their detail you would never Mm -hmm. uh, see something quite as ornate as that today. Mm-hmm. And I have a picture here of the coins on display in the basement of the Palazzo Massimo. Now, I've, is that would that be the coin collection that we mentioned earlier, or I mean, part of the coin collection? Or I can't see what the era of coin that is but I am inclined to say yes because as you can see there is a list of all of the various collections they have there Uh, reading down through them you can see that the one thing that lists uh, numismatic material or coinage is uh, from the Nechi collections and the collection of Victor Emmanuel III. So it's either from him or whatever Nechi collections are. As far as the building itself, it's very standard-looking building. I mean, there's there's some cool ornamentation and um, stuff, but for the most part, it seems kind of unremarkable. Yeah, it's just kind of very old-looking, really. But I think that's fine. I mean, yeah. you want people to be able to go in there and be impressed by the exhibits. It doesn't necessarily need to be impressive on the inside, impressive yeah. on the outside. If what you have to display is of worth to people, it's mm-hmm. of cultural uh, importance or it's of historical importance and significance, then you have a good museum. Right. I mean, it's a really nice thing to be able to go into a very cool, like, architecturally abstract building and be like, oh, well, this is cool. I just want to be in this building right now. Yeah. That's cool, too. But I feel like Rome's just like, you don't have to care. We're <laughs> Rome. Look, all the, we have so much history from all, like, that's relevant to every last one of you. Every one of we you. We have all of the history here. Just come see it because we don't, we don't need to care to you. <laughs> You just, you, just, you just show up. When in Rome. When in Rome. Uh, let's see. What else? Where should we go? Get away from museums here. Go to that Pope Sixtus the Fifth, Or even Pope Sixtus the Fourth. Can't go to Pope Sixtus the Sixtus the Sixth? Or is that just too confusing? They just give up there. <laughs> yeah, I think after the Fifth, he was like, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're stopping this now. We can go to an article explaining amber. Hmm. 
or Mark Sidich von Hahnem's Altamps. Is what? That's his name. What? Ho- Mark Sidich von Hahnem's Altamps. Uh, Eric, Eric, it's late in the podcast. I don't want to say any long names. <laughs> We've been doing this for almost an hour now. We gotta, we gotta take it, take it easy, man. Just, just gotta relax. Yeah, we we already had have some names here, so we can. Uh, Mark Sidich von Hanahan's Altamps. He's a pope's son. Wait, what? Oh wait, wait. The son of the sister of Pope Pius the Fourth. Okay, a, a I was pope, gonna say Pope's nephew. I was gonna say I was like, <laughs> popes have kids. Do they have kids? <laughs> so I guess there could never be two popes from the same lineage maybe i mean maybe if you like you have a pope who has some siblings mm. and then the siblings have kids and then one of their kids becomes a pope right so then technically it's like the same genera- it's ge- the next generation of the same family mm, that's true do do popes usually just kind of stay in office or whatever until they die or do they yeah. step down at some point? They usually stay in office until they die. The mm. most recent one to abdicate was Ratzinger, uh, who I still remember by his pre-Pope name, but Pope Benedict. Uh. Went by. Uh, he was the one that came in after Pope John Paul II, and Pope Benedict uh, left. He retired because mm. he was not very well liked. Uh, some of the decisions he had made as far as theology were concerned were pretty controversial. Mm-hmm. That could be said for most popes, but uh, his were particularly asinine. And uh, <laughs> so he kind of caught, caught some vibes, especially considering there were some scandals that were going on during his tenure. And he was just kind of like, I'm going to just kind of retire. And everybody was like, what? <laughs> no pope retires. Like, literally no pope retires. You're like the second dude to do this. <laughs> Why are you doing this? But yeah, usually it's an office you hold until you die, and then they appoint a new one. Suffice it to say, though, it used to hold a whole lot, whole lot more power in Europe than it did now. Yeah. And so, people, a lot of popes died of <laughs> mysterious reasons. Because mm. there was a lot of like, uh, oh my God, the Medici family in particular. There's a lot of, a lot of bad stuff going on there, corruption and trying to kind of just break the system. Mm. The best way to do that, make somebody you know the Pope. How do you get rid of the Pope that's there? Kill him. It's kind of like the Santa Claus. You kill the Pope, you become the Pope. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> actually very... I mean, if you if you have the right backing. Yes. Right. It's, not, it's not immediate. It's not guaranteed. It's not like you start growing the hat. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not quite the same. It's not like uh, they kill you kill the Pope and all of a sudden white smoke just immediately starts shooting <laughs> out of the chimney of the place where they usually make the decisions. Maybe we could go to an article on mummies, too. Oh, we could. That might be pretty interesting. could also go to an article about pomegranate. Yum. The most irritating fruit to eat. Hmm. Wait, I'm thinking about that amber that you mentioned earlier. I would be interested in checking that out. It's very different Especially from... Especially in the light of uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah. Jurassic World just coming out. Dino DNA. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be cool. Let's see what Wikipedia has to say about amber. There it is. Mosquito and amber. 
picture on the right hand side. Yes. Okay, so unlike what it says in the movie, it is fossilized tree resin, not sap. So it's not sap. Right. Resin, of course, being a thicker liquid that comes out of trees, but uh, it is not made of sugars. Right. This is more polymers. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know it was used in perfumes, but apparently it is. And obviously you know, it's it helps, used in jewelry. Helps preserve preserve the skin you spray it on. You spray it on, uh, and then the amp, the resin just fossilizes <laughs> on your skin. Your skin just like stays that way, you know, yeah. like a fossil. The same. Yeah, it stays like that forever. Yep. True. True fact of the day. <laughs> true. Our totally true fact. Amber will make you stay the same exact age forever. <laughs> way if you're entirely suspended with it <laughs> it might do that but of course you'd have to freeze your entire body to what is it negative uh, 200 something yeah yeah well not necessarily i mean you wouldn't be alive right That's not the objective. if you were an amber you would just be an amber yeah oh there's five classes of amber amber um, it originates as a soft, sticky tree resin and sometimes contains animal and plant materials. And it's also called resinite when it occurs in coal seams. It says here the word amber derives from Arabic anbar, although the citation is needed, so take that information with a grain of salt. However, it does say that by the 14th century, the word was adopted into the Middle English, referring to what is now known as ambergris, or gray amber, mm. which was a solid waxy substance derived from the sperm whale. Huh. So how it ended up describing tree resin, that's something <laughs> I'm going to read on and see if I can't figure out. Yeah, that's, um, the yellow amber was called Ambergeon. Ah, and as the use of ambergris waned, Ambergeon became the main sense of the word, thus allowing us to eventually become just amber. Gotcha. I like, it says the classical name for amber, Electrum, is connected to a term meaning beaming sun. I like saying Electrum. That's... Yeah, cool term cool. for amber. Now here's a weird thing. Uh, amber is discussed by Theophrastus in the fourth century BC, and again by Pythias, uh, circa 330 BC, whose work on the ocean is lost, but was referenced by Pilney the Elder, according to whose *The Natural History*, in what is also the earliest known mention of the name Germania. Stated, Pythias says that Gutones, a people of Germany, inhabit the shores of an estuary of the ocean called Mentonaman. Their territory extending a distance of 6,000 stadia, that, at one day's sail from this territory, is the Isle of Abelus, upon the shores of which amber is thrown up by the waves in spring. 
it being an excretion of the sea in a concrete form, as also that the inhabitants use this amber by way of fuel and sell it to their neighbors, the Teutons. Hmm. The fact that they say that amber is used as a fuel? <laughs> what? Yeah, that's <laughs> What weird. sort of Volkswagen nonsense were the early <laughs> Germans up to? Okay, so it has the different classifications here. Um, class 1 is the most abundant class, and it comprises labdatrian carboxylic acids, such as communic or ozic acids. And then it's actually divided up into three subclasses. Um, the first one is normal Baltic amber, and they have communic acid base. And one one B is um, based on communic acid, but they lack succinic acid. And then one C it is mainly based on enantiolabdatrianonic acids. Um, its most familiar representative is Dominican amber. I don't know. It seem, seems like. 1C shouldn't really be lumped in with those other two because A and B seem to be a lot more similar. Yeah, 1C is its own thing. It says that it's also much more commonplace for uh, 1C or for Dominican Amber to have a large number of fossil inclusions. Um, Class 2 is uh, formed from resins with a sick Sesquiterpenoid base, such as catenone. And class three are polystyrenes. Class four is something of a waste basket, it says. What? Its ambers are not polymerized, but mainly consist of cedrine based sesquiterpenoids. And class five resins are considered to be produced by a pine or pine relative. So pines get their own class. So a cool fact, in August 2012, two mites preserved in amber were determined to be the oldest animals ever to have been found in the substance. Hmm. The mites are 230 million years old (laughs) and were discovered in northeastern Italy. Wow. Leading us right back to Italy. Maybe they are in that museum. They could be. (laughs) Now, it says ancient China used to burn amber during large festivities. And if it's heated under the right conditions, oil of amber is produced. And then that was combined with nitric acid to create a musky odor. And apparently if you burn it, it gives off a pine wood fragrance, which kind of makes sense considering it comes from wood. Oh, well, here's more about the sperm whale origin of this stuff. Ambergris is the waxy, aromatic substance created in the intestines of sperm whales Gross. and was used in making perfumes. Gross. <laughs> both in ancient times and modern times. There's a reason I don't wear perfume. <laughs> so, yep. 
Just slap some intestine juice on your face. Yum. And you smell real good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Tasty. Well, that's all we have time for on this episode of the Wikipedia Chronicles. Yeah. If you liked our intestine juice ramblings, <laughs> then give us a like on our Facebook page at... Uh, uh, I don't do this end, end bit, like, ever. I don't actually know it. Uh, it's uh, facebook.com slash Podcast. That's the one. Yes, this episode is from Paisani to Amber... Um, yeah, head over to iTunes, rate and review us, and look for new episodes on twc.ericterribio.com if that's how you prefer to listen to it. And if I would like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Bertha Lee for our outro song. Thanks for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. This was the Wikipedia Chronicles. Out on the intestine juice note, <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't let that opportunity pass. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a good. Uh, the good solid out, outro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're, juice. If you're talking about intestines, you gotta just let it go out. You just gotta push it all out. Yeah, just gotta finish it up. Yep. Don't have any like, dangling, um, any dangling thoughts. Gotta yeah. shake them all loose so they all drop out. Just like you know. that dysentery episode, you know. Yep. <laughs> once you once you get the stuff. Wait, was like, that the last episode we did, too? No, that was, was, that two, was episodes two episodes ago. Okay, good. Two or three episodes ago, If we yeah. got to the point where <laughs> we were literally ending every episode on some sort of intestine, intestine-based intestine happening, I don't know, man. That's, <laughs> that's not a good sign. Yeah. But if we, if we have one episode of a pause, one episode of respite in between, then that's fine. <laughs> I got it real.